right, turn, if you would, tonight to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are glad to be in your house again tonight, and Lord, I am thankful for the time that we've had already in song. I'm thankful, Lord, for the message that we were just reminded of uh, from the song of Brother Mike. Lord, it is a challenging question. It's a convicting question for most of us, if we're honest, uh, because we know the answer. And uh, I pray that you'd help myself. I pray that you'd help each of us uh, to do more for you, because there is more to be done. God, I pray that you'd help me as I I prepare to preach this message that I believe you've laid on my heart. I pray that it would be a help to each of us, and I pray that you would uh, just help us to give consideration to the truth tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. I think most of you know that last week we took a break from our study of Nehemiah, and then the week prior to that, Brother McCracken was here, and so you do the math, it's been three weeks now since we've been in our study of Nehemiah, and I know that that is more than enough time for us to kind of lose sight of what we have last dealt with and last looked at. And so I'm going to remind us of just a little bit of some previous messages because of how it ties into tonight's message, and I I trust that we'll give some attention to this. But I want us to think back to a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 10, And we watched as the people of Israel entered into a vow with the Lord as a result of all the things that God had done on their behalf. And I'm not going to re-preach the message, but I want us to be mindful of the highlights of what was said in that particular sermon because of how it ties into tonight's passage. It was in chapter 10 in this covenant that Israel made with the Lord that they declared that they were going to walk in God's law. That is something they said very clearly, something they said very specifically. They were going to walk in God's law, which meant this, they were going to obey his word. Something else that they said by way of the covenant was this, that they would no longer give their children to the inhabitants of the land. They were going to take serious the spiritual direction of their children. And so that was part of it in specifics, that they were going to no longer give their children to the inhabitants of the land. They then spoke of how it was going to be their action. It was going to not just be their intention, but it would be their action that would cause them to honor the Sabbath and to not forsake the temple. And then, in addition to that, they promised or they vowed to meet the needs of the temple. And so that is what the children of Israel did. They promised to walk in obedience to God's word. They said that they would be mindful of the spiritual direction of their children They were going to honor the Sabbath and not forsake the temple. And then they said once more, just trying to remind us of this, that they were going to meet the needs of the temple, that the temple would no longer be neglected. And and as that was said, we looked in the first couple of verses three weeks ago of chapter 13 and watched as they were kind of put to the test as to whether or not they were going to live in obedience. And they did choose to live in obedience in that particular situation to the word of God. And so tonight we're going to continue looking in verse number 4, and we're going to look at several verses. But before we get to chapter 13 and verse number 4, I I want us to think about something tonight. I know that this is not a great illustration. I I really do. And, and, And I almost want to apologize to you for having to listen to it. But I couldn't come up with anything else to kind of illustrate where the thoughts are headed. So if you've got a better illustration, feel free to share it with me after church tonight. And I mean that because I might, you know, want to use it at some point in the future. But uh, 
several weeks ago, I don't remember the exact day in which this would have happened, but a few weeks ago, I was looking at my yard and something that became evident was this, is that I needed to get out there and mow the yard. And so I went out and I did what you would expect me to do in mowing the yard and, and just very simple, basic approach. I went out, I mowed it, weeded it, blew it, and, and, and did everything that you were supposed to do. And, and I know I've talked about this before, but I like to look at my yard after I've done it. You know what I mean? It's like mission accomplished. It looks good. It looks nice. It looks manicured and all these other things. It, it looks good. And so I, I wrapped everything up, got it finished, and, and it was looking good. It was looking nice. And several days later, you know what I noticed? It was kind of shaggy again. The rain had come. The sun had shined or shone or whatever the sun does. And so it had caused the grass to grow, and it was kind of shaggy. And, and so before we were going to go out of town, I, I knew I need to mow the yard again. So I went out, and I mowed the yard again, and I did everything that needed to be done. And, and once again, I, I, I enjoyed the, the labor, and I enjoyed the, the, what it produced. I, I was enjoying just the accomplishment of getting out there and doing the job that needed to be done. And and for lack of better words, it was exciting to me. Well, several days passed, and guess what? More rain, more sun, more growth. So what did I have to do? Some of you all don't know, apparently. I had to mow again is what I had to do. I had to go out there, and I had to mow the yard once more and go through the whole process. Now, the point in this is simply this, is that throughout the summer, Here's what I am reminded of. It is a never-ending process. It is a never-ending battle. And while I have moments to celebrate my victories, so to speak, for a short amount of time, you know what I've got to be mindful of? I'll have to do this again in a few days. And though I can rejoice in the accomplishment, though I can rejoice in, in, in what was done, I, I am reminded and I'm aware of this truth, I'm going to get to do this again in a few days. So my time to celebrate, my time to be excited, my time to, to tell Susie, look at the yard, see how nice it looks. It's a very small window of opportunity because it's going to be a recurring theme because that's what seems to happen during the summer. The grass grows, you cut it down, and it comes back, and you cut it down, and it comes back. And again, it's a never-ending cycle. That's what it does. So you say, well, you're right. That wasn't a very good illustration. I, I know that, and, and, and it may even seem worse once we get into the message. But I really do think there's a principle here for us to consider I want us to begin tonight by looking in verse number 6, okay? In verse number 6, I just want us to see this because I'll be honest with you, the, the chronology of what we're looking at tonight, it is a bit confusing. It's not as clear as I would like it to be for myself. And, and, and you may have perfect understanding of this and how it all flows together. Personally, though, I, I struggled with this. I just want us to see something, though. It says, but in all this was not I at Jerusalem. So what does that seem to indicate? Well, it seems to indicate that Nehemiah departed from Jerusalem for some amount of time, for some season. 
Is that what it seems to indicate? Okay, if you don't encourage me, I'm going to be really insecure tonight, okay? So at least nod your head. I don't need a raucous response, but just let me know I'm making sense tonight, okay? It seems to indicate that he had left Jerusalem for some amount of time because it says, For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king. And so he's referencing the 32nd year. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, it's in the 20th year. So some amount of time, no doubt, has passed between chapter 1 and chapter 13, verse number 6, seemingly 12 years but we don't know exactly when Nehemiah came back to the kingdom there where, where the king of Babylon was. But, but it says in verse number 6, And after certain days obtained I leave of the king. So what does that mean? It just means this, that after he was back in Babylon for some amount of time, again, we don't know the exact days, he says that he obtained leave or he was granted permission to leave once more and to return to the city of Jerusalem. And so again, if we were to tie all this together, whenever the people from Israel came in the chapter, in the first chapter, uh, Nehemiah got permission to go back. It was then that the rebuilding of the wall process took place. And then Nehemiah at some point returns back to Babylon to the king and he is granted permission once again to go back to Jerusalem. And so that's what's happening in verse number six of chapter 13. And then I want us to see this just for sake of a point of reference In verse number 21, Nehemiah references the wall, okay? He says, Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you from that time forth. Came they no more on the Sabbath. And in verse number 19, he speaks of the walls. And so I'm trying to show us something, that by the time we come to chapter 13, the, the wall is built, the gates have been set up, and, and everything's been completed. And the picture painted here would seem to tell us that this has been a, an established part of life in Jerusalem now for quite some time. Okay? That, that the wall has been built, that the gates have been in place, and life has kind of gotten back to normal, and life has kind of gotten back to usual since the rebuilding of the wall, since the completion of the project. Now, why is that important? Well, keep in mind one other point, one other thought that is pretty important for tonight's message. It was in the first part of this chapter that the children of Israel were reminded that the people of the Ammonites and the people of the Moabites, they were not supposed to enter into the congregation of God for how long? Forever. Forever, the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, they were to never enter into the congregation of God because of how the Ammonites and the Moabites had treated Israel in generations past. So as that's all understood, I want us to look in verse number four. It says, and before this, and so the question for me is, before what? And the answer is not really given in the scripture. It just says this, And before this, Eliashib the priest. Well, who is Eliashib? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, he is the high priest in Israel at this time. And so it says, And before this, Eliashib the priest, having oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied or friends or, or had become close to this one named Tobiah. Who was Tobiah? 
Well, he was, had a buddy, if you may remember, by the name of Sanballat. Sanballat and Tobiah were the ones who, in the beginning of this story, stood in direct opposition to the rebuilding efforts of the wall that Nehemiah was leading Israel in. Not only was Tobiah an enemy of the rebuilding of the wall, the scripture tells us that he was an Ammonite. That's fairly important. So Tobiah is an Ammonite, and who has he been made allies with? It just so happens that the scripture tells us that he has been made allies with Eliashib, who served as the high priest of the, of the people of Israel in what would have been the new temple. And so who is Eliashib good friends with? An Ammonite who he has no real business being friends and allies with. But more than that, I want us to see this. It says that he having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God was allied unto Tobiah, and notice, and he prepared for him a great chamber. What is that a reference to? It would be like a lodging place or, or some place that Tobiah could call home whenever he was in the region or in the area. And it says, he prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn, the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and to the singers and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. So where is this happening at? Verse number four tells us that it is happening in the chamber of the house of our God. Now, I don't know about you, but if the scripture says, do not let them into the congregation of the house of God, and Tobiah the Ammonite has been given a great chamber in the house of our God, it sounds like, at least for the high priest, that whole vow and that whole covenant to walk in the ways of the Lord, to walk in his word, it seems to indicate that that's not being exercised in his life. Is that fair to say? I mean, come on, if the scripture says don't do it and you're doing it, that's a pretty good sign that you're not walking in obedience to God's word. So, so this is not real deep. This is not real complicated. God said don't do it. Everybody said, okay, what God says we're, we're going to do and that's how we're going to live. And we read just a few verses later that Eliashib, the high priest, is doing everything that the scripture said don't do. Well, that lets us know that at least one person isn't holding up to their vow, is not holding up to their promise. Okay. Now, I'm not one of these people that says everything rises and falls on leadership. I don't buy into that by any stretch. But leadership does tend many times to have influence on people, do they not? Amen. Thus, kind of the, the idea behind the word leadership, they have influence on the actions and the directions of others. Now, we're going to look at this more next week, but, but whenever Nehemiah discovered what was happening by Eliashib on behalf of his buddy Tobiah, well, Nehemiah got upset. 
And we see how he cast out the things from the chamber, and, and he has the chamber cleansed. He has it purified once more. But notice what it says in verse number 10. Again, I just find this interesting. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Well, hold on, what does this mean? What does this mean when, when Nehemiah says, I perceive that the portions of the Levites had not been given them? It means this, that what was promised to be given to the Levites and to the singers and those that did the work, they did not receive what they were supposed to be receiving. Yeah, but I thought you said in chapter 10 that you were going to make sure that the needs of the house of the Lord were met. Well, we did. Okay, but now they're not being met. Because the Levites and the singers and those that did the work, they've all fled now, everyone to their field. They, they've left the temple. From what we can tell, they've left the house of the Lord, and they've gone back to other regions, to other areas. And so what are we seeing? We're seeing another area in which the covenant that was made between the people and the Lord, it is no longer being honored by the people. Isn't this kind of interesting? The priest isn't obeying the word of God. He's not keeping his portion of the covenant. The people of Israel who vowed to make sure that the needs of the temple were met obviously haven't held up their end of the bargain. So notice in verse number 15. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses. When? On the Sabbath. That's not exactly when you're supposed to be pressing wine. So they're pressing wine on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And he says, And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. Now, now the Sabbath day, I mean, think about this. What would that have to do by way of relation to the covenant that was made in chapter 10? Well, they said in chapter 10, we're going to honor the Sabbath. And we're not going to forsake the temple. And I said a few weeks ago in that message, essentially what they were saying was this, is listen, the Sabbath has not been special, it's not been sacred, it's not been something that was holy to us, but as a result of what God's done, then the Sabbath and the temple are going to become important to us. It'll no longer be just an ordinary day. And now we look in verse number 15, and what has the Sabbath become once more? Just another day. People out pressing the wine, people out bringing in the sheaves, lading the asses, putting the wine and the grapes and the figs and all manner of burdens on the animals which they would have brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah says, I testified against them because of their actions, because it was on the Sabbath that they sold the victuals. Once again, it's just become a common, same old, same old kind of a day for them. So he contended with them. He says in verse number 17, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? 
In the following verses, he spoke to the merchants, to the sellers, to the ones who were buying and selling and doing the trade, and and he's confronting them, and, and he threatens them. But then notice in verse number 23 what it says. In those days also saw I Jews that had done what? That had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. Hold on, Jews are marrying who? Well, the people of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. It says in verse number 24, And their children spake half in the speak of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. So what's happening again? Their children are intermarrying with the people God forbid them to intermarry with. But I thought back in chapter 10, you said we're not going to do that anymore. Well, they did. And in chapter 13, sometime later, what would appear to be several years later, you know what they're doing? They are intermarrying with the ones that God said not to intermarry with that the people of Israel said will not intermarry with or give our children to. So here are the people of Israel, and what has happened? Well, a great victory has taken place. The wall's been rebuilt, and everybody's excited, and everybody's on a high, and everybody is rejoicing in what God has done for them. They've come out for the reading of the Word of God. They've come out for the assembling. They've come out, and they've been willing to stay all day. No no hurry and no rush to get away. And as the Word of God continues to be read throughout the days to come, the people of Israel enter into a covenant with God, and they declare, we're going to live in obedience to God's Word. We're going to make the Sabbath holy once more. We're not going to forsake the temple. We're going to make sure that the needs of the temple are met. And we are going to start caring about the direction and the future of our children. That's what we're going to do. That's, that's good. That was a victory. And it was something they could enjoy. But you know what they could not afford to do? They could not afford to enjoy the victory too long. For what reason? Because obviously it was a never-ending battle and a never-ending struggle. The same issues needed to be addressed over and over and over and over again. But here is what we find, apparently, that the children of Israel were not too concerned with addressing the same issue that needed to be addressed over and over and over again to maintain the victories that had been won in the past. So as a result of celebrating but then giving no attention to the covenant, to the the promises that were made, In time, here's what happened. The very things that were once a struggle and a source of spiritual failure in their lives, the things that they had gotten victory over at a point in the past because it was no longer addressed, 
it resurfaced and it made itself apparent once more in the lives of the children of Israel. I don't know if we can see where this is headed. I trust that we can, but, but I want us to think for just a moment. I'm not going to re-preach it, but I want us to think about this for just a moment. Some of what I've said in the last two Sunday morning sermons. I've mentioned how all of us have struggles, right, in our personal lives whenever it comes to sin. Every one of us have struggles, correct? Okay, so as a result of all of us having struggles, here's what we know, that Satan knows what our struggles are, and what is he going to do? He's going to try to plant that seed that would lead to sin that would eventually bring forth death, correct? Okay, and so we see how sin manifests itself in different areas of our lives. Now, again, I want us to see the principle here. Okay, so you and I, at some point in our lives, what have we done? We have seen the sin for what it is, an offense to Almighty God who is holy and righteous. We have seen it for what it is. We have identified what is the real source of the problem that has caused that sin to manifest itself in our life. And, and, and then past that, we have begun to notice, okay, it was this that led to this that led to that. that that's how we get spiritual victory, right? Okay, so we've all got spiritual victories at certain points in our lives. Seven of us have. We, we've gotten spiritual victories in our lives. Okay, so, so when a spiritual victory takes place, what do we do? We like to rejoice and we like to celebrate. Well, I don't know about you, but whenever I feel like God has given me a victory over something in my life, I rejoice in that. Man, I get excited about thinking, okay, God has done a work in my life and God has helped me in that. And, and just by way of personal testimony, okay, there have been some things in recent weeks in my life, and I know I've touched on this a little bit, but, but there have been some things in my life in recent weeks that, that I can look to and I can say, praise the Lord, God has given me the victory in this. I get excited whenever I see growth and progress in my spiritual life. I like to celebrate it. I don't mean like with parties or anything, but I, I like to celebrate what God has done in my life. I like to thank Him for what He's done. I like to tell myself, I'm not ever going there again. But you know what sin is like in my life? It's kind of like that grass. Because there are lots of seeds out there that can fall on some fertile soil that want to bring forth some fruit. And, and so here's what I found of myself that, that when the victory comes, it's good and it's okay and it's, 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 it's acceptable to celebrate this victory that God has done in my life. But you know what I have to be reminded of? No victory is permanent in the spiritual life. You know, I, I might be able to look at this area of my life and say, praise the Lord, I've gotten victory over that. Man, I'm so thankful that God has given me the victory over that. And, and again, very appropriate to, to celebrate that. 
But you know what happens if I sit back and enjoy the victory too long? The very things that I said I would no longer do, I'm doing them again. Now, it may not be profaning the Sabbath. It may not be neglecting the temple. It may not be neglecting the needs of the temple. It may not be me giving my children to the people of Moab or to to Ashdod or to, to Ammon. Obviously, it wouldn't be those things specifically. But what I'm trying to show us is this, is if I'm not careful, I sit back and I rejoice in my victory so long that rather than maintaining the victory... I'm drifting right back into the very sin that I had to work so hard with the grace of God to get the victory in. Does this sound familiar to anyone else, or is this just a pastor problem and a preacher issue that that we preachers have to deal with? I, I think all of us can identify with this, right? Every one of us... We look at things and we say, okay, I've had the victory and God's been good and God's blessed. And and that's all good and wonderful. But I'm trying to remind us tonight, you know what we've got to do? We've got to stay on top of it. Because if we don't stay on top of it, it's going to get ugly again. When we least expect it, we're going to look out the window of our lives, so to speak, and realize this has gotten shaggy and this has gotten ugly and it happened faster than I realized it was going to. Again, just by way of personal testimony, I'm just going to share this, and if it helps, it helps, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't know what else to say to you, but I told you a few weeks ago in a sermon that I was confronted a few weeks ago about my tongue and about some of the ways in which I speak to Susie and the way in which I speak to the kids. And my first thought at the time was, hey, I don't want to hear that. I don't appreciate hearing that, and and okay, but I'll take it for what you said. And, and Susie and I have talked about this for the last few weeks, and, and this may sound childish, but I'm just again, I'm going to admit it publicly. I've said to her, babe, can you tell the difference? Because I've been working on this. I'm trying to be nicer to you. And, and, and it's not as though I was abusive in my words to her. She would testify to that. But, but there were just times that I was not careful with the words that I would speak. And I would be harsh sometimes. And so I've said, babe, am I doing okay? Am I still being nice? And she's like, you're doing good, honey. You're, you're doing good, babe. And, and yes, yeah, so I can really tell a difference. Okay, you know what? That's great. But if I'm not careful in six months, give or take some time, you know where I'll be? The same guy that I was on the day that I got confronted where I realized I was wrong and I needed to make some changes. Obedience to the will of God and victory in our spiritual lives is nothing that we can ever assume will always be there because sin is something that we constantly have to address or it is going to be present And it's going to have an impact on our lives. The people of Israel are an incredible example, in my opinion, of people who enjoyed victory, who celebrated it appropriately, 
And then they sat back and they enjoyed the victory far too long. And over time, seemingly without noticing it, they slipped right back into all the old ways and in all the old habits they once held. And I'm just saying to you and I tonight, I don't want that to happen to us. Whatever spiritual progress you've made, I, I want us to keep that and to keep pressing forward. Whatever victories we've enjoyed, it's wonderful and it's fantastic, but, but I don't want any of us to assume that, well, now I can relax a little bit because we can't relax a little bit. We can't just assume that the spiritual victories will continue to take care of themselves because they'll not continue to take care of themselves. The effort, the dedication, the commitment, whatever you'd like to call it, it has to be maintained, it has to be sustained day after day after day after day or we will go backwards in the Christian life. And this evening, I would just ask us to consider this question. I don't know how you'll answer it. I'd just like us to consider this question. Can you look in your life right now and see some things that have reappeared that you thought at one point you had the victory over? Is there anything that you would say, man, I thought I was past that, I thought I was victorious, and, and I was celebrating in what God had done, and, and yet I'm seeing that same thing cropping back up in my life. Well, why is that? Because we've celebrated too long, and we've not worked hard enough, and we have erred in our thinking. I'm just saying, we need to be mindful that nothing by way of victory is permanent unless we continue to put forth the effort in that area. By the grace of God, with the help of God, nothing is permanent unless we stay on top of it with God's help. And is there anything that you might need to give attention to once more? Because the carelessness or the lack of effort has allowed the sin to come forth once more in your life. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be men and women who are mindful of the fact that the battle never stops, that the struggles never cease. Lord, we know it. It's something that we would easily say amen to, and yet far too often, at least for myself, far too often, we get relaxed and we don't give the, the sin the attention it deserves until it manifests itself once more. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to be reminded of what we need to be reminded of and maybe convicted of some things that need some attention. I pray that you bless the invitation tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.